you can get off your phone. Hi, I'm Lauren. I'm Tia. And this is the journey to transformation. Welcome. Welcome. At some point, Lauren can be bothered to engage in a conversation with me. I am engaged. I just have to find my notes. Okay, fine. Because I wrote some notes and then they're now in two different places, which is really annoying. Oh, dear. That probably means I'm not a white supremacist. Yes, because as we know from our good friend, Martha Awajobi, white supremacists love being organized. So you're definitely not a white supremacist. <laughs> <laughs> There's a couple of things that confirm that. Yeah. <laughs> I used to no, be just so that. organized. You used to be a white supremacist. Yeah, I used to be. <laughs> what were we talking about? So I wanted to talk a little bit about humanitarian reform or organizations that reform. Why do you say that word <laughs> reform. so weirdly? Reform. Okay. How do you say it? Reform? Reform. Because in the humanitarian sector where organizations provide aid to countries around the world. Don't mansplain humanitarianism to our listeners. Well, it might be changing. There has often been instances where organizations have come together to try and say they're going to change the way the sector works. The United Nations is usually a bit of a leader in that. For example, there was something called the Grand Bargain. Do you remember this? Mm -hmm. There's also something called the Charter for Change. Yeah. And these were like where organizations and donors came together to say we're going to change the way we work. For example, by giving a percentage of funding to more local organisations rather than to organisations based in the UK or Europe. Did they work? No. Yeah. <laughs> How's that gone? <laughs> Given that now we're having a conversation about decolonizing aid, it clearly didn't work. <laughs> but this is the frustration. Like these things didn't work. And so what we've got now is something called the Pledge for Change. Think Pledge for Change 2030. I just had a funny joke about the grand bargain. Please. But, no. no, well, it doesn't work now. Why? Because I was going to say, like, stick it in the bargain bin. <laughs> <laughs> but then you moved on to a new thing. <laughs> we can... <laughs> right. Change. <laughs> There's something called the Pledge for Change. Yes. And what it is, is it's a commitment from some of the biggest organizations in the sector. So, for example, Care International, Christian Aid, Plan International, Save the Children, and Oxfam. Nice. But this whole thing has been set up and led by an organization called ADESO, mm. and they are a Somali-led organization. Cool. And their CEO, Deegan Ali, was involved in the design of the Grand Bargain and the Charter for Change. And they have come forward and said, look, this is not working. We need to bring these power holders together. And so it was their idea to start this process. I don't want to be an asshole. They were involved in the design of the Grand Bargain. I knew, I knew, I knew where you're going with this because I had exactly the same thought. Anyway, but at least they're trying to do something to correct it and or potentially do something that could work. Okay. Anyway. Cool. Everybody gets, uh, is it three tries? <laughs> Third time lucky is a phrase for a reason. Okay. Right. They can have one more try when this inevitably fails. <laughs> so the pledge itself focuses on three areas equitable partnerships authentic storytelling and influencing wider change okay. now i could go into more detail about what's within those different bits can you just do like a highlights uh yes i can i just can't get into the thing i'm trying to open for those of you who are not watching us, we are drinking Kona Brewing Company Longboard Island Lagers, which are a favorite beer of mine, and I used to drink them all the time in Maui, and now I pay six pounds a pop for them. <laughs> Whoa. Yeah, that's why you can only have one. <laughs> They're in M&S, aren't they? Yeah. 
product placement, M&S should sponsor us. Okay. Anyway. I'd rather have these folks sponsor yeah, us. Yeah, sorry, directly, yeah. Although M&S just have other good shit. Yeah. Um, oh my god, I still haven't bought that Christmas biscuit box that you open it and it like lights up the whole room. We're never going to get that biscuit box. I know, that you it's probably said. sold this out for like really six years. Line. Anyway, here we go. It's got these three areas. <laughs> the ginger snaps are good though. <laughs> Equitable partnerships. And it's got like five points per each bit. Okay. And it's kind of like what they're committing to. So they're committing to, you know, working with national and local organizations. They do that already. We will help them take control. Help them take control. Those Poor souls. And where there is no partnership, they will help build the capacity to do so. Build capacity because they're the ones who build it. Uh (laughs) I don't want to sound like a dick, but this sounds like it's written in the same fucking colonial bullshit. Are you paraphrasing? Are you reading reading this word for word? It says, help them take control. We will help them take control. Help them, us them. And we'll engage directly only when there isn't enough national or local capacity to meet people's needs. Who defines that? you know of. Yeah, yeah, exactly. (laughs) Where there's no partnership. I don't want to read this like totally because we'll be here for like six years. And because it's bullshit. It's the same stuff. It is the same stuff, unfortunately. And then it says INGOs competing for funds, facilities and talent can unintentionally weaken civil society. In the years ahead, we'll allocate more resources to national and local organisations. But why has that not happened to this point? Just putting that in a new pledge is not going to change anything. And the grand bargain, as I mentioned before, had this really strong indicator of switching the percentage of funding given to local organisations. It was a bit like the pioneer of that reform piece. Mm -hmm. But that was the... (laughs) (laughs) But that was the the bit that failed the most, in fact. Okay. So I just don't understand how this is different. Although having said that, this is just kind of the pledge. It's not the how. And the how is still to come. So I I don't yet know, like, the how could be different. And a day so is the one, like, owning this pledge for the first two years. It's going to sit with them. What does that mean? I guess they're going to be, like, the secretariat of it, if you like. Okay. And... What they decided to do, and I attended the opening session of this, is to keep it as quite a small group because Adeso's or Dagan Ali's learning was when it's bigger, as the previous reforms were, things get watered down to the point that the safest option that's, that well, everyone will change becomes it. Mm. So that she was trying to kind of overcome that issue. Okay. And then the other thing that they did speak about, which I think I had a question about, was the selection process and like inclusion of who was in this group. And again, their learning was they didn't want to include lots of CSOs that then would feel like it was their job. This is actually the job of the INGOs who've made the problem to understand how to undo the problem and dismantle it because they are the problem. Lots of civil society organisations from the global south did review the pledge. They had an opportunity to give feedback, review it, and they are the ones who will now be championing it in their own circles, were not involved in the core group, if you like. Okay. So that's a bit different. Yes, process-wise it's different. And potentially that it's led by a day so rather than one of the INGOs. Mm. It's a bit about what Martha Awajobi, former guest, friend of the podcast, was saying. Yeah, you can put a woman in that role and they can still be misogynistic. They can still be a white supremacist, right? Yeah, no, that's very true. I mean, I'm not saying Adesso is riddled with white supremacists. I don't know. Depends on how much they like spreadsheets. (laughs) Listen to that episode so that reference makes sense. (laughs) (laughs) 
But the other thing that I found kind of annoying was that they're still using the word aid and the word aid is still like heavily used across a lot of this. And it's just that kind of association with aid being colonial. I'm just sick of this idea. I'm really fucking tired of this. Okay. I know, dear listeners, I've been shitting on white boys a lot lately, mainly because they've been getting in my way and being horrible and annoying. But I did meet a very interesting white boy. And he and I had a good conversation. I'm not going to out him, but (laughs) if you want to like hang out sometime (laughs) and just like talk shit about other white boys, let me know. Basically, he was just like talking about how they like continuing to replay these colonial things, but not really realizing that they're doing it and what that looks like for organizations. And one of the things that he was saying is that even the concept of capacity building, he was like, that rests on an assumption that people that we're working with don't have sufficient capacity and like yes as somebody who did do a lot of work in capacity building and capacity strengthening there is an inherent assumption in that but then there's also another angle to that that i do think is like rooted in this idea that their capacity must be to a level that we in the global north or white people have decided is the capacity standard i need to build your capacity to be this but why Like, why is it that? So I'm just a little bit irritated by this idea of like, we're going to build their capacity. What we are finding to be the true truth thing is people in the global south. I still fucking hate that term. I don't know what we're going to replace it with. People who are actually implementing the work that we get paid for, they build our capacity. They build our knowledge. So we're working on a project right now, which is about a context analysis. And I'm like, where do you get your knowledge? Like, where does that come from? And like, yeah, we recognize like the country offices are the ones that have the knowledge, like they know. And I was like, okay, well, that's really interesting. So what sources do you use to get knowledge? Oh yeah, like we go to like our counterparts at the UN or we read some of the reports and like some of the clusters or we talk to our friends at the pub. And I was like, but you just said that the ones who know are your country offices, but yet you don't draw on them for that knowledge. Like they're the ones and I I don't want to do like an us them thing, but people who are actually implementing people who are in those places, they are the ones who are building our knowledge and building our capacity to do our work without what they know. We couldn't do it. You couldn't do a context analysis. You wouldn't fucking understand what was going on without those people experiencing the things that they're experiencing Mm -hmm. to tell us and shape it and make it something we can connect to. So this idea of like, we're going to build their capacity, like fuck right off, because I know that I can never do a context analysis by myself. I would never have any knowledge of how to deliver a program to any meaning or significance without somebody in that community within the affected population building my capacity and explaining to me and strengthening my knowledge. Yeah, 100%. There is a really fantastic article on Nonprofit Quarterly about dismantling capacity building. Did you see the thing that they had? They had a white hand and a black hand. Oh, and they were know. like meeting as fists in the middle and one had a US flag. No, I don't think so. Okay, I'll send it to you. It's in their newsletter. And I was like, <laughs> um... <laughs> okay. So MPQ. Love you guys. Yeah, well, there's a really <laughs> great article and I'll put it in the show notes that talks about exactly that. Dismantling what we mean by capacity building mm. and the standard of who sets that and then secondly I had a fantastic conversation with a good friend of mine and they did some data collection in Libya and it was a knowledge 
attitudes and practices survey and the people they were doing the survey with refused to do the survey because they were like who are you to ask me about my knowledge yes they were like well you know my knowledge is my knowledge you've got no way of testing this and why should you be yeah so then that was that, that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> more of that please from everyone <laughs> yeah. so yeah kids Tell your teachers, who are you to test my fucking knowledge? (laughs) (laughs) Everyone. I want everyone to just say that. Maybe that's the seeds of what's to come, fingers crossed. But there's another sentence in here that I didn't like for the very same reasons that you're saying. And it says, we'll work in partnership with them. Although it does say national local organisations before, sorry. We'll work in partnership with them to make sure they benefit from our presence. Ew. Yeah. Yeah. Like, Like they have to benefit from your presence because that's always a good thing do you know what i mean like it's yeah. this i don't know i didn't like that sentence at all it made me feel very uneasy anyway stuff about partnerships sharing the burden of costs blah 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 sharing the burden of costs i don't think the burden of anything should be shared you take the burden they do the fun stuff <laughs> that's it international non-governmental organizations and i can say this with very clear eyes because some of the organizations in here i have worked very very closely with as have you not naming which ones but we have good friends in all of them so we love you we have always made our money off of their work civil society organizations we have always made our money off of them it's a fucking farce to think that we haven't so this idea of burden sharing is psychotic to me Mm. there is only one entity who should be holding the burden and it's not civil society organizations make their fucking lives easy give them what they want in a way that is convenient for them and useful for them and wanted and desired for them anything that falls under the burden category is yours Yeah, 100%. This entire language, even the risk management point, is very much about exactly what you're saying. It's still setting the standard of the international NGO versus what you said before, the partner's standard and way of doing things not being the ultimate. Right. So this one says, we'll take a more collaborative approach to risk management. We'll avoid applying stricter risk requirements to our partners than ourselves and look for ways of minimizing the compliance burden on partners. Yeah, but like completely a hundred percent and also like the risk requirements on themselves still may be too risky too much for the partner and also let's say that there's a donor or someone giving money who's putting risk expectations on the international organization that should not be then taken down to the partner level yeah and it always flows downstream like it's a fallacy to think that you'd be able to get away from that and like if you manage risk in your nonprofit, like a corporation would yeah. which many people do many organizations many big ones will hire firms that approach risk management in the nonprofit sector from a corporate lens mm-hmm. so it's brand protection it's all the tolerances and thresholds for things the risk appetite is really really limited in very many spaces but it's not always practical to have those kinds of risk thresholds or a really conservative or a very risk averse approach to certain things if you're a cso like it just doesn't right exactly you cannot and so the idea that you can detach yourself from what your partner is doing as if you're able to like avail them of not the responsibility but everyone can just be like oh no it's cool like they're just doing that thing like it just doesn't fundamentally seem like it would track with things like i don't know counterterrorism legislation which we've seen some partners get trapped in because they refuse to sign some statement saying that they're not terrorists because they feel offended by the mere suggestion 
Right. That's a real example. Well, exactly. And also just the risk factor to staff you work with in context is so different. How many South Sudanese national staff have been killed in their line of work <laughs> over international staff that have the ability to leave? Yeah. You know, it's just so different. How to work should not be governed by INGOs. Yeah, well, that's... <laughs> The, the problem is this is a pledge for change and whilst it is about how they change the way they work it's the way they work has major interactions with partners and other stakeholders so yeah. they're still setting the bar yeah rather than just saying i suppose they can't like really isolate themselves to it but how long is this it seems long it's fairly long yeah i could have done this in one sentence Mm -hmm. If I could have done it in one sentence, it would be easier. <laughs> okay, so then... Do you not want to know the sentence? Yeah, I do, yeah. Sorry, I didn't, I, didn't, I didn't even share it. Well, I'm very happy to share it because this is a sharing podcast. Okay, come on, then share it, please. It could be, we will be led by our partners. And Yeah. Wild. That's it. That covers all that shit because your partner may be like, yeah, we need some support with our capacity. We don't know how to do whatever. And we'd like to. Could be that. Or it yeah. could be like I interviewed somebody in Syria and they were like, we know what to do. So <laughs> <laughs> fuck off. Yeah, <laughs> Not to me, fair. but about the organization. I'm very fair. And I was like, yeah, actually, sorry. No, it wasn't Syria. We've done a lot of projects lately. It's in Mozambique. Mm. And they were like, we're just sick of people coming in and like mm. telling us that we need our capacity to be built. I've been in X profession for 25 years. It's weird that somebody who's been doing it for three years, just because they're white, they get to come in and tell me how to do this thing. Yeah, yeah. They were 100%. like, we don't want that help. And I was like, yeah, no, fair. And I'm sorry I'm here. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm not white, but I'm very happy to pass this information along. Yeah, 100%. They didn't publish that report that wrote, but <laughs> <laughs> where that was in there. Are you not going to comment on my sentence? I think it's great. Okay, I think it's really, really good. That's it. And that takes out all of the us, them. It's the same that we did for the project around whose knowledge counts and decolonizing yeah. fucking whatever. People need a literal sentence. Just, you're not going to decide anything. That's it. Just say, we're not going to decide stuff. We're going to let other people decide what they want from us. Yeah. That's all. I wish you'd say it to me. Bye. <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, then it goes on to authentic storytelling, which is what we've talked about quite a bit on this podcast with Sabrina. Go and see that episode. Authentic storytelling. It's like we know all of this, blah, blah, blah. I can't be bothered to read all of this. It does talk about like creating cultures of anti-racism, jargon. Nobody knows what that means. Amplifying stories. Yeah, it doesn't go into detail about I mean, what that means. I mean, this is all the stuff we've been talking I don't want to be crabby and like rain on. I don't want to like shit on this parade. God, you're shitting on this parade. But it just seems shit. So I'm just adding more <laughs> shit to shit. It just seems like a terrible fucking useless exercise okay influencing wider change the one thing i wanted to read out here is this one we will speak out against any government policies or international action that perpetuates a colonial approach to aid and development oh will you so this was my question that people fucking ignored <laughs> i was like so wait wait go take one step back Oh, yes, yeah, sorry. You asked a question that people ignored. <laughs> so, Explain for our dear listeners. So I was at the Pledge for Change launch event, as was millions of other people. Maybe not millions, hundreds. But it was there were a, six people. <laughs> yeah. But it was one of those Zoom things where you don't know who else is in the room and it's okay. got a Q&A. Okay. And that's it. Like, you don't know who else is there, which I actually don't like because I was like, I want to know who else is interested But in you can this. see the number, like the number no. of people? No. 
Oh. Nothing. I felt like I was the only one in the room. Uh, <laughs> is there anything in the pledge about transparency? Well, not here. Because I also couldn't see other people's questions. Only the panellists could. Uh, and I, I don't like that. And I could put anonymous or my name and that was it. What did you put? One anonymous to my name, I think. Nice. <laughs> but I wanted to know how many people were on this hmm. call. I don't like the idea that you can't see other people's questions. It's like when we use Slido, mm. shout out to Slido, you can do the anonymous questions but yeah. people can see the questions and they can vote on those questions yeah, so I, like if the moderators aren't answering the questions yeah you know but that's the thing so then i had no idea how they were selecting the questions and also i would have loved to have seen what other people were asking you there's know there's a lot of power dynamics in this yeah i'm convinced this is just bullshit this anyway like <laughs> so when i was in zoom so i did ask a question so i was like it's all well and good saying that you're going to speak out against governments but i haven't heard any of you talk about what that means for your finances and whether you're willing to take the risk. <laughs> I think I put that one anonymous. <laughs> Nobody was talking about what that meant for their funding and if they were willing to risk the fact that that could actually put everything you know i know i'm sassy on the podcast but you are sassy in very very public spaces <laughs> but no one decided to respond to that rude mm. okay so we're putting this question out there yeah what does calling out government who also is your daddies and right. gives you your allowance what does that look like yeah. Tell us practically. Are you willing to? It's the same thing when we're talking about human rights. Governments are not going to like use the full power that they have available to them to hold other governments to account for their human rights violations. You know, think about where the, what is it, the World Cup is being held in? Qatar? Yeah. Oh, Football World Cup. Football World Cup. That's it. I mean, think about that. Yeah, exactly. People are still going. You're a fucking government that's got like all this human rights shit. Go on. The one where he was like, oh, queer people yeah. just need to be like chill. <laughs> Uh, hello. What's his name? Rishi Sunak. No, it wasn't Rishi Sunak. He had a better approach because he was like, you know, the government of Qatar doesn't hold, we don't have shared beliefs in rights that something, something, something. It wasn't him. It was the foreign minister or something like that. Oh, who's the foreign minister? Jeremy Hunt? No, I don't know. We should find out so that we can sufficiently drag this dum-dum. Yeah. Okay. What do you look for? Government LGBT. Cutter. News. Foreign secretary named. Ugh, I always have to manage my cookies. James Cleverly, British foreign secretary. Oh, yes. Okay. Receiving backlash for suggesting gay soccer fans should be, air quotes, respectful in Qatar when attending the FIFA World Cup. So, this is what I mean. Like, Okay, that's really shitty. But also, you can be like, yeah, queer rights and human rights. Everybody's entitled to their human rights, but you're not going to, like, use the full weight of your government to hold other governments to account. No. Care International isn't going to be like, FCDO, fuck off, because you're being too colonial. Right. We don't want your money. No thanks. So, Plan International, their CEO, Rose, somebody. Anyway. Oh, I was with the other CEO. Plan International's CEO did mention, because somebody did ask in the Q&A that I didn't get to see, what are the challenges that they're facing internally? Actually, a lot of people were worried about the internal challenges. About Plan? Yeah. Was like, oh, all of them? Yeah, all of them. Oh. To try and get this pledge through, what challenges did you face? internally bearing in mind that most of these organizations are a federated structure 
Okay, fine. So from that perspective. Well, because they're international INGOs. So money, anxieties and resources was the biggest issue. And Deegan Ali also mentioned competitive stuff. So like... Competition between organisations. Yeah, right? yeah, exactly. Yeah. But yeah, it was like that competitive clauses was, was a tension in terms of like, if you're now going to work together more... What does that look like? And if you work with the same partners or different partners, and yeah. that was a real tension, apparently. And then plan said like money anxieties. And then I think I put another kind of question of great, tell me more about the money anxieties. <laughs> you know, how can you have money anxieties and still pledge to challenge governments? Tell me what that looks like. I mean, they haven't said how they're going to challenge. I can challenge you and be like, hey, bro. <laughs> yeah. Well, or I can be like, this fucking bro sucks. They've not said how they're going to do it or how forcefully they're going to do it. True. So. But we need forceful at this point. Anything less than collective forceful action is just nothing's going to change. I completely agree with you. I think this is just going to be like back channeling. It will be nothing that you see and it won't be in the public space. Yeah. So show me where on that thing it says we're going to challenge governments who are being fucking colonial in their approach or whatever. Yeah. It doesn't say they're going to do it publicly. <laughs> we will speak out against any government policies or international action that perpetuate a colonial approach to aid and development. This whole thing is written as a colonial approach. Yeah, I agree. I don't understand what you're trying to do here with this because I feel like you wanted me to be like excited about this. Oh, not necessarily, no. Okay, good, because no, I'm not. Yeah, no, I, I hear you. I also have my issues with it. I am also a little bit hopeful. There's a small part of me that's like, okay, these organisations have come together and their CEOs and senior management are sitting together. From that session, people say that that hasn't happened before on this level. So there is potentially something different about that and the learning space that that's creating. Can people put their egos aside and learn and sit in that space with Adeso as the lead. Let's see, because maybe that in of itself is a telling sign. And what I will say is at the end, it did become a bit like a, oh, we're doing this, oh, we're doing this, oh, we're doing this. Mm-hmm. Like, it's like a racism report. It became a little bit too much like this is what I'm doing as an organisation versus what we can do collectively. This is a really good example, though. CARE's CEO, Sophia, they mentioned that they'd gone through all of CARE's library Somebody asked, how are you actually going to do some of this in terms of the authentic storytelling? And they said that they'd gone through all of CARE's photo library, which sounded like it was all in a very nice space, but I doubt that very much. Probably took some intern like (laughs) six months to get into one space. Anyway. Yeah, it was the lowest paid fucking brown intern. I'm just kidding, I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) Well. I'm just guessing. So they did an analysis of who took those pictures and 70% were taken by men in the global north, which I thought was a good fact to have in your back pocket for this kind of event what a useless way to spend your time i could have told you that yes certainly (laughs) but you know someone did it there's a percentage behind it but what is the use for that though i guess um it's like when we did that project for the organization who shall not be named and we looked i started looking at the thing and i was like i don't even need to do the meta-analysis on this because i can see right here (laughs) 90 percent of these documents are written in the english language And based on the hundred that are on this page, it's just like white people names. Yeah, no, I hear you. But I still think it's... I'll sample it, but I'm just saying, (laughs) I could probably guess. I know, I hear you. But guessing in this instance is not enough. But what's the utility of that? 
I think it's... What is it advance, I guess? I mean, I don't know. I don't know what they're going to do with it. It's a good question. But like, I imagine that that will just be the pivot in which they then say, okay, we now need to stop having people in the global north take these pictures. And I know that that seems incredibly obvious, but to to see that it's not there and it's not been done, but then as a flipping point. I don't know. I feel just like the scraps of some intention because like, who cares? What meaningful change is that going to do? Like, what would be an interesting kind of tangential thing to me is if they said we're not going to draw on any sources we're going to take 60 percent of our resources like how we find our knowledge so the sources of our knowledge will be in english because that's just where it is Mm -hmm. and then the 40 percent we're going to source from other languages other than english in recognition of the fact that there are knowledge holders who choose not to communicate their knowledge yeah. In English. That's much better. That's a much more useful thing. Like, I don't really care where you get your fucking photos. I care what your photos depict and how they were depicted. But that just seems like a such a narrow fucking bullshit thing. I don't really care about it. <laughs> like, what I want to know is, like, something that's, like... Mm. How do you know what is true? How do you decide what is sources of knowledge? Yeah, but there is still something to be said for the fact that, like, the lens in which these pictures are being taken and the person that was deciding that this was the picture they were going to take and that was going to be a representation was somebody from the global north. So in a comms storytelling fundraising piece, I think that sets the agenda. I don't think it does, though, because in those contexts, you know how comms teams work. The person who takes the picture is a tool. The comms team (laughs) decides what to take and what to use. Mm. So they have a brief that they give to somebody. Go out, find your brownest baby with the most fucking flies on them and get that photo. Mm. Like they're deciding. It's not like you've got some independent photographer who's like running wild. They're working for an international non-governmental agency. They've been hired. They've been given a brief and then Mm. somebody approves those photos to be put on the comms material. So what's more important to me is... I feel like I'm just being really crabby at the moment and I know I'm not in a great mood. But fundamentally, for me, what is most important is who's on your comms team making the decision of what you put on your annual report. Because your photographer is not taking one photo and giving you that one photo. They're taking thousands of photos. Who cares who took the photo? Who decided that that was the photo to use? That's what I want to know. Okay. And that's what I want to know that the CEO of Care International is doing with their time. (laughs) Sophia. At me. But I do think we've got to start somewhere and I'm going to be <laughs> hopeful in that. I'm going to drag you down to the pits of despair. <laughs> <laughs> because I do think they've got to start somewhere and from the shit the others were spewing, I just felt like that was better. Okay. All right, good job, Sophia. Yay. Who is the CEO from the Global South, by the way? So, I don't know. Was okay, so they've given the CEO from the Global South the task of counting pictures. <laughs> cool. <laughs> Seems reasonable. Okay. Um, <laughs> Obviously, I don't know that's the case. She probably didn't count them herself, but I'm just saying it's funny to come out that way. <laughs> <laughs> so, the other thing I wanted to mention was there was a black guy who was an don't advisor. <laughs> An advisor, not a CEO of one of the organisations. I can't remember like what their connection was other than they were an advisor and they were in it. And they were the first person to mention racism and like that everyone was doing harm. And I was like, come on now, of this room, I would have loved to have heard somebody else have that reflection. Save the Children Canada's CEO did step in and actually echo similar things. They were a white man. 
but it was after. Like, they, they didn't start that conversation. Let me know when you're done, because I'm going to have a total fucking freak out in a minute. <clears throat> okay, let me move on to something else. No, no. Um, it's a good freak out. Okay. That's, I'm done on that point. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Are you ready? I'm going to have a drink. <laughs> Go. Buckle up. <laughs> okay. An advisor to one of these organizations or something else? Something else. Right. Okay. So the whole premise of this concept is like, don't have the CSOs do the work. Those brown people don't have to do the work because it's our job. We fucked this up. The fundamental component of how it's fucked up that like drives all the fucked up you all missed. How do I trust you to take this forward in a like deliberate, concerted way if the first thing that didn't come out of your mouths was an acknowledgement of race, of colonialism, of white supremacy, of I don't want to steal normal stuff, cis heteronormativity, the patriot. Like, how is that not the first acknowledgement that comes out of your mouth? If it takes a black man to tell you about this stuff, to like prompt your thinking on this, you aren't the stewards of this thing like how can you be trusted to do this yeah in any meaningful way if it wasn't the first thing if you didn't know that was the first fucking problem to be fair the advisor said racism but the save the children ceo talked about white supremacy who's the ceo of save the children save the children canada sorry i don't know what their name is so so we'll give save the children canada yeah I, i was a little bit impressed with that there we go and Christian Aid CEO was like, we're different. We're not federated. <laughs> <laughs> so funny. I really felt like they were trying to be like, we're not like <laughs> you evil federated beings. Danny Glenwright? Yes. Okay. Yes. Claps up to Danny. Although on Danny's LinkedIn, it looks like he is holding the hands of a little black baby. <laughs> Oh dear. Can you see? Yeah, okay. His head is covering up the baby's face, so I guess that's cool, but... That's yeah. your LinkedIn. This person give you permission to use their image in your LinkedIn cover? Just asking for a friend. <laughs> okay. This is a really important lesson on triangulating your perceptions of a person. <laughs> <laughs> that was probably the best burn you've ever delivered in <laughs> the most you way. Okay. One thing I wanted to mention was, and this was my final question that got ignored. Going back to what we said at the beginning, that the grand bargain failed. And I was like, so, you know, you've got the grand bargain as a reference point and it failed but at what point did people know it failed and why didn't they do anything about it same vein for this at what point are you going to know that you've failed or it's not working and how willing are you to change or adapt that was your question yeah it's a great question i know um, no, Castle? because it's like, I don't know it's why. because it's a good question. But it's part of the how, because as I said, they've got another organization who's going to help measure or put up some kind of framework. But I sincerely hope it has a measure of failure in it because the grand bargain failed, but people continued with it knowing that. Yeah, people still reference that in our projects and stuff. Right, so it's like we cannot have that happen again. You have to have a point in which you know that this isn't working or it's failing. But I don't understand why you need to have a measure of that. I'm telling you right now it's a failure. (laughs) (laughs) Well, by tears, Fishman. (laughs) We should have already moved on by now. But you've not described to me anything that is different, that seems to have a fulsome, dispassionate, sober understanding of the problem the sober understanding of the problem is definitely missing but i do think structurally having a day so as the lead a smaller group 
a learning piece. There's just something different. But the that. product of that were these statements that inherently are themselves still rooted in a colonial mindset. And have been reviewed by many civil society organizations. And yes, that's what I find very surprising. Right. But th- there is also, you know, a terminology and, you know, a way of speaking. Like people are talking about this stuff. How many everywhere. languages are these commitments written in? Can you just show me on the website how many <laughs> of this is translated? I don't know. I think it's in Arabic. Uh-huh. <laughs> just curious, asking for a friend. Well, the thing is, I've only seen it on everyone's own website. Sorry, Dusso, I don't want to shit on your thing, but I'm... I can't find it. I think it must be this one on Relief Web. Yeah, so it's just in English and Arabic right now. Ah. Yeah, literally just Arabic and English only on Relief Web. Yeah, that's it. Okay. Sorry, where did the civil society organizations come from that reviewed this? I don't know. Were they all just in Somalia? I don't know. Which is why it's in Arabic. I guess by doing it in Arabic, it meant that you reach a wider group of people. But that's my point, is when it says this is reviewed by civil society organizations, was it just civil society organizations in Somalia? I don't know. They didn't. I mean, I didn't get much in the way of feedback. (laughs) This feels like a real fucking catfish, to be honest. Because when I thought it was civil society have agreed, I would have assumed that it was a sample of civil society organizations working with these international non-governmental organizations Mm. across their strategic priority countries, for example, or like a sample of each of their countries. So like Plan International... Last time I was there, they had five strategic priority countries and then they had like tiered priority countries. Maybe. So I would have thought they would have taken a sample of CSOs that are working with these organizations to then review the things of these organizations. Even, you know, it'd be cool. They did it cross each other. So like CARES. <laughs> I mean, go on, go on, go on. Right. If you want more on this idea, you got to pay us 550 pounds a day. Like the rights holders in CARES little patch of wherever reviewed some of the inputs from plans. Yeah, that'd be cool. What they should do is make one massive council comprised of civil society (laughs) organizations from around the globe who are like, not the steering committee, but the um, the board of directors That'd be so for these cool. groups. That'd that would really signal good. to me some sort of transformative change and that those roles be fucking paid for by those organizations. Yeah, and they should also eat some of that soy ice cream because it was so good. Soy? Yeah. You just made me think soy of sauce. that. Yeah. The soy sauce ice cream. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That was good. <laughs> so good. It was weird. I love that soy ice cream. Stop saying soy ice cream. It was soy sauce oh, sorry, ice cream. Oh, sorry, soy sauce. If you say soy, it sounds like soybeans. Oh, yeah. Okay. Soy sauce. Our soy sauce made from soybeans. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. Board okay. of Directors, Civil Society, eating soy sauce ice cream. There you go. Perfection. Perfection. So, the other thing that people should look at is the New Humanitarian's article on it because it does add some healthy scepticism, which I love. Good. You know, like people have done this before. Why is this even a new approach? Thank you. Blah, blah, blah. The New Humanitarian gets me. Yeah, I'm a fan of the New Humanitarian journalism. And the New Humanitarian actually Your podcast a bit dry, facilitated <laughs> this session that I went to. Oh, yeah. And they were really good at it, to be fair. Okay. Just not good at picking my questions. Rude. But yes, their podcast is a bit dry. Do you want to troll their podcast? But let's not say podcast? that because I, I wrote to someone on that podcast, but they were on maternity leave. So maybe I should write again. How long ago was that? Four months ago. Oh, anyway. they're probably still on maternity leave. Yeah, I reckon. But like I could probably email somebody else there because I think they've got a podcast general. Okay, but I think they know that their podcast is dry. Oh, right. 
I would say so. If they don't have the capacity for self-reflection, I don't want to be working with them. Okay, fine. So that's all I've got to say about that pledge for change. Okay. Do you still feel optimistic? Have I rained on your parade? (laughs) Well, how do I feel now? I think I have a good balance of skepticism and hope. Okay. Which I think is a good place to be because I think in this sector, everything feels like it's been done before <laughs> and everything feels like you are banging your head on a desk saying, I said this five years ago or I said this two years ago or why has this not been done? Everybody knows this. So I do feel like having a jar of hope is important. A hope jar. To keep going. Yeah. Or a little moonbeam in a jar, which is like <sighs> the hope. That you keep alive because ultimately you work in the sector because you want to do some good. So there's that. But however, <laughs> I do have a good sense of what's not different about this. Okay. Which just needs people, listeners included, just to keep questioning Get your Q&A up there. Get your questions answered. Well, no, there's but, no transparency in how they pick the questions. So but they did send an email address, so I'll put their email address <laughs> in the show notes. Good. Nice. So you should also, Spam them. yes, send through your questions. Yeah. Well, ready then? All right. One day when I grow up, I hope to be like you. <laughs> Do you know what? I think since my birthday, I'll just become crabbier. <laughs> this revolution, this time around. You know what, though? Mm. I think we are in a Scorpio moon. (laughs) I'm Tia. I'm Lauren. This has been the journey to transformation. Bye. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Journey to Transformation. Leave us a five-star rating and a written review wherever you're listening to this podcast. Journey to Transformation is written and edited by us, Tia Rogers and Lauren Burrows. Our music comes from Praz Canal.